Uh, God laid on my heart. I actually had another message I was going to minister, had it already, but the Lord really began to challenge me. And of course, we had a fast uh, first three days of last week. And, and then after that, I thought I had uh, everything I needed for today, but he changed it. So today I want to talk about, uh, we're talking about foundations this year. God dealt with me, as Amir said, to, uh, de- to, uh, to concentrate on the foundational issues of life, the things that make life work this year. So I'm uh, going to start uh, for us at the beginning, and I want to talk about uh, the church, the local church. Why does the church exist? And why uh, is attending a church important? You know, the, um, the stats are not great about church attendance right now. It's actually on the rise as I have looked around uh, in the body of Christ in America, particularly about you know, 40% or a little less of, of Americans attend church. But I think that's going to be changing because we're asking God to do something supernatural in America. How many are agreeing with us? So here's a commercial every Tuesday and Thursday at noon. We've been doing this since November of 2022. Encourage you to come and pray with us. We're really, the reason we're praying, we started praying, is because our our nation is in such peril. So come and pray with us. We pray from noon to one, Tuesdays, Thursdays, you're invited. But I believe God's doing something fresh. How many believe that? So it does feel like we're in a time of shaking, and I think everybody could understand what I mean by that. Everything that can be shaken will be shaken. In fact, listen to Hebrews 12. Um, Got to start with verse 25. You'll, you'll understand it as we go. See that you do not refuse him who speaks, for if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall they not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth. But now he has promised, saying, once more I shake not not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken as of the things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear for our God's a consuming fire. How many would agree there's a whole lot of shaking going on? And it's not what he was talking about in that song either, by the way. There's a, there's a shaking of every foundational element of life worldwide right now. Jesus is coming back. And I've talked a lot about that in the past. You can go on our website and look at all the things I've said about that. And the time just prior to Jesus' return is really typified as a time of judgment on the earth. People don't realize that. And, uh, you know, Joel prophesied. 2,500 years ago that uh, before Messiah returns, there would be a tremendous moving of the Spirit. Peter, the apostle Peter on the day of Pentecost, said that is beginning to be fulfilled. And he quoted from Joel chapter 2, beginning with verse 28. So so in one sense, you know, there's been a move of God, a move of the Spirit since Jesus was raised from the dead since the day of Pentecost. But just prior to Jesus' actual return, many believe as do I, and I've heard it all of my life as a believer that there's going to be one final thrust and moving of the Holy Spirit worldwide before Jesus returns. And people think of moving of the Spirit is all wonderful and clean and nice. But the truth is, if you look at the context of Scripture, it's a very challenging time. Joel talked about blood and fire and pillars of smoke, which typifies war. And we're entering actually into a time of war before Jesus comes back. Many are uh, postulating that perhaps uh, sometime this year, World War III may come about. Well, we can keep our eyes on that, and it feels like gloom and doom. But if you see what God wants to do in the family of God worldwide, he wants to bring revival to his people and then revival through his people to the cultures all around the world. How many believe that? So there is a shaking, and the shaking's causing people to question uh, everything around them. Things that have been standardized in the past are being questioned, brought into question now, and perhaps in some areas rightly so. There's also a shaking in the kingdom of God among churches and how churches do what they do and the mission they have and why they do the way they Uh, the things that they do, uh, churches and how people um, relate to them have changed over the past few years uh, in some really big ways, particularly, can you believe it's been four years since COVID broke out in March? So, uh, you know, there's been a lot of changes in the church world, particularly in America since then. And uh, more broadly in church life in America, um, 
you know, uh, I came to Jesus in the mid-70s, uh, 1976, so this is my 48th year in Christ, and uh, when I came to Jesus, it was right in the middle of, of what people call the charismatic movement. The Holy Spirit began to move among denominational people, and they began to be filled with the Holy Spirit and operate in God's power, and that's happened worldwide. Now, it's estimated that uh, close to a billion people worldwide have, have been born again and baptized with the Holy Spirit. That's amazing, isn't it? So, uh, the, the, the fastest growing churches worldwide now are those who espouse a belief in the power of God and the fact that miracles weren't consigned just to the first century, but they're to go through the duration of the church age. How many hear me? So, you know, um, Rick Roaring published a book called the purpose-driven church in the mid-1990s. I was on the way of all places to Siberia, read the whole book there and back in the mid-90s. And, uh, and anyway, um, uh, he espoused in that book, Purpose-Driven driven Church, that you should do things to draw people. Jesus did things to draw people. He talked about crops and land. He talks about seed and the sower. He talks about the sheep and the shepherd because that's where the people were. And there was a lot of truth to what he said. Uh, but what happened then, we begin in some ways um, to become, quote unquote, seeker sensitive in America, particularly in the way we did church life. And it seemed to pour a bit of uh, uh, just to, to douse, perhaps, the moving of the Holy Spirit in the way that uh, many of us had understood and experienced it prior to that. And you've got to be older to know what I'm talking about. So for the last... You know, 15 years or so, there's been a real change uh, in the, uh, the church, and there's been an emphasis on having an experience with high-tech gadgetry and all of that. I like all that. I'm a gadget man myself and always have been. I took electronics in high school. I love gadgets, and I love all the gadgets we have. But that doesn't make a church service, and that doesn't make a church viable. Let me say the other part of me is, listen, you can have church under a tree with 100-degree weather, and there ain't nothing comfortable. Everybody sweats and stinks, all right? Uh, I've, I've had church in, in uh, buildings. Uh, one building I was in in Ethiopia, uh, I think it maybe would seat 500. They probably had over 1,000 in it, and nobody had a bath for weeks, and I can't tell you what it was like, but the power of God came. How many hear what I'm saying? You, you, can, you can have church in a mud hut. It doesn't matter. I just want you to know the building doesn't make the church we do. And so, again, we've got to get rid of our popular misconceptions about uh, what the local church is, what it's like, what it should be, and what it should be doing. And then COVID has um, popularized the idea that... Um, the church experience can also be had as an online experience. And many people over the past few years actually stopped attending church. We have a large, and hey, if you're watching online, welcome to Victory Church. I do encourage you, however, online experience should never be a replacement for a personal time where you go to a church, be with people. How many know the building's not the church you are? And God wants you to be with people in a local church. You got to understand there is a dynamism here that you won't find anywhere else. Anybody that you find yourself in, group of people, uh, there's an atmosphere. There, how many know there's an atmosphere at a football game? Right? There's an atmosphere in uh, sports activities, an atmosphere in a theater. I mean, you know, there's an atmosphere here, and, and this is an unusual atmosphere in that when believers get together, we have the power of God. We have the Holy Spirit in us. And 1 Corinthians, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, 1 Corinthians 3.16, Amplified Bible, Paul said, don't you know that you, the whole church at Corinth, are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you individually and then collectively as a church? How many know we are the temple of God? And let me tell you what's happening in these days. God wants to renew his presence in the local church. And he wants the local church to be, once again, a vibrant uh, part of a community and be a light and be the salt that Jesus called us to be. How many hear me? So, again... Um, there's a lot of information at our fingertips when you think about all the online ministries that are available. We have a really good website, thanks to our staff team, uh, Isaiah Short and others that help us do that. We deeply appreciate that. And, uh, you know, uh, one thing that COVID did was show us that uh, that a lot of people can attend multiple services online with multiple churches. They have a lot more content, but what that is void of is personal relationship. 
And let me just say something about personal relationships. So, so there's a lot, of, a lot of online information at our fingertips. That's absolutely true. But be aware of this. Information does not translate into personal transformation. Personal transformation comes when you put shoe leather on what you hear and experience it in the context of relationship with other people. Yes or no? So we have, oh, here's a good plug. So we've got small groups coming back up in February. You need to get involved in our small groups and get to know other people, right? So if you're one of the people that you come in and you sit in a seat and uh, you just slide in that, that, that uh, uh, you know, drop parking space and, and run in here just before the service begins and then you jet out right after that last amen is said, you're missing something. We need each other. We need family. In fact, go out and eat with somebody today, right? So we need each other. We need the local. We are the church. We're interconnected together. All that begs several questions. Here's a bunch of questions that it fostered in me. I wonder what God has to say about all the changes in how we do church life over the years. I wonder what he thinks about it. I wonder what Jesus thinks about it. What does he say about the church in America? I wonder what he would say if you could talk to him, have a personal conversation. Uh, another question, why does the church exist in general? Why do I need to be part of a, we call it a local church, a local assembly? Why? And we'll cover all these in just a minute. Uh, can I be a good Christian? This is a good question. Uh, without being committed to a church? Hmm. Uh, can I just listen to ministry on Facebook or on websites, uh, I find, and be a good Christian? Uh, who started this thing about church anyway? We'll talk about that today. Uh, is it okay to have several churches that you attend and not be committed to any of them? Because that's what a lot of people are doing. Have you noticed that? If you attend a bunch of different churches and are committed not to, to none of them, you will not grow as you should. Just a thought. You've got a you got a bed you sleep in at night. You don't you don't find a different house each night, right? Right? Huh? Huh? You got you got you should have a place you call home, and and you know in in a good world you would have a place called family, right? So so you need to find your family and your home, right? So so the same way with church. Uh, um, again. Uh, what am I supposed to get out of going to church? How often should I attend church? So these are a lot of questions that we have. I'll answer these uh, in the ensuing weeks. There are two institutions that God has put his stamp of approval on in human uh, society. And the first one is the family. God and marriage. How many know God's the one that had the idea about marriage? He made our bodies a certain way and he had made marriage a certain way. How many know we have strayed from God's best? Is that true? Genesis 2, 21, the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam. He slept, took one of his ribs, closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And Adam said, wow. No, he said, this is now bone of my bones. And flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman. Whoa, man. That's why he said, whoa, man. Woman, woman. Uh, because she was taken out of man, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined his wife, and that shall become one flesh. See, see that, 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 is the, that is the basis of marriage right there. God, uh, husbands and wives, men and women were, were interconnected. God separated them. God took the woman out of the man, and that's why there is an attraction. Uh, 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 an opposite sex attraction is godly. See, we could talk about that the rest of the time. Uh, the Supreme Court, however, in one fell swoop in June of 2015, um, in America changed um, the purposes of marriage in America. But how many know they didn't change God? Is that right? So see, God's uh, idea and ideals for family haven't changed. Um, uh, through God-honoring families with female mothers and male fathers. It's sad you've got to say that today, isn't it? Children are taught love, respect, and they're taught to honor God and honor his kingdom. Is that right? So, um, in fact, the Shema, Deuteronomy 6, it, it shows you God's purpose for family which the basic foundation of that is marriage. And we'll cover that another time. Uh, listen, O Lord, the Lord our God, the Lord alone. Um, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength. Jesus mentioned this in Matthew 22. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands I'm giving you. And then notice what he said about family life and what it does to children. Repeat them again and again to your children. Repeat what? The word of God to your children. Talk about them when you're at home, when you're on the road, when you're going to bed, when you're getting up. So God had the idea of marriage and family uh, as the way human life should be nurtured 
and, fam- and, and community strengthened. Without a strong family, a nation cannot exist as it should, right? And, and because a family and marriage is the basic subunit of all society. And so there's a tremendous attack. Why? Because the enemy wants to tear apart the social fabric of every nation to, enter, to, to introduce into the world a globalist ideology of a one world government. How many hear me? That's the whole plan behind it. Second thing that God puts a stamp of approval on in human cultures is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. How many hear me? It's God's plan. So again, uh, Lucifer and his crowd, if I could call the demonic forces and fallen angels that, um, they hate Christ-honoring, disciple-making, holy-living local churches. Yes or no? Jesus said something about the local church in Matthew 16. Let me just read this. It's just a few verses. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Others say you're Jeremiah or one of the other prophets that is, you know, come back. Uh, Then he asked, but who do you say I am? And, And Peter spoke up. Of all the people, he was quite verbose, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And and people didn't realize the Holy Spirit came on him when he said that. Jesus replied, you're blessed, Simon, son of Jonah, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you, and he changed his name, he said, now I say to you that you are Peter, and the word, the Greek word he used is Petros, a little rock or a little pebble. And, uh, And he said, and upon this rock... And then he used another word for rock, which is Petra, which means a big rock. I will build my church, and the powers of hell will not conquer it, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. And that last portion there bespeaks a tremendously powerful force on the earth that, that, uh, that introduces the kingdom of God to every culture in every nation. How many hear me? And so the central focus of the kingdom of God on earth is the local church. How many hear me? And we need to be a vibrant part of a local church. So again, Jesus asked his disciples who people said he was. Peter said, you're the Christ, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. And and, uh, Jesus said, well, the Holy Spirit revealed that to you. And, and, and then he said, on this rock, I will build my church. And then the Catholics took that and, and misconstrued it and saying that the Pope, you know, is the person that is right after the apostles that really leads the church of Jesus. That is not what Jesus was saying. Did you hear me? If you're Catholic, I don't mean to offend you. No offense taken. But, but that's not what Jesus was saying. He was talking about the, the little pebble that spoke something. Peter's the pebble and out of his mouth came a rock. You're the Christ, the son of the living God. That's the foundation for the church. And if you're going to be a part of the church of Jesus, you've got to give yourself to Jesus. And his name's got to come out of your mouth. And if you'll commit your life to him, he will change who you are, how you live, turn you from darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto God, and will transform everything about you. How many have found that to be true in your own life? So if you're, if you're here with a friend, I want you to know you're among really good people who love you. But I want you to know your life can be transformed today. Jesus transforms life. I was almost 18 before my life was really transformed by the Lord Jesus. And he took, and he took me where I was going nowhere to do nothing and made something out of me. He'll make something good out of your life if you let him. When that, when that big rock comes out of your mouth. You're the Christ, the son of the living God, and you give your life to him. It changes you, and it joins you to a big group of people called the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, Paul made it very clear um, that when you do what Peter said, declare that Jesus is the Christ out of your mouth, you, uh, you become part of the family of God, Romans 10, 9, 10. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For it's by believing in your heart that you're made right with God and it's openly by openly declaring your faith that you are safe so that confession joins you to the church right again notice what Jesus said Matthew 16 18 I say to you that you are Peter and upon this big boulder that came out of your mouth this rock I will build my everybody say church now what is church the Greek word for church is actually a compound word ek means 
uh, out, and klesia means to call, and really so an ecclesia. What is a church? That's the Greek word, and it means an assembly of people who are called out. That means a, an assembly of people who are separated from the culture that they're in. They're, they're an assembly of called out ones. Called out of what? You're called out of darkness into his marvelous light. You're called out of the power of Satan and you have experienced the very power of God. You have light. You have life. You have righteousness. You have faith. You've got something that other people need and want. And you're a separate entity wherever you live. Is that not cool? So I think it's really, really amazing. So we're I called out from the world, from sin. We enter into a relationship with a family called the church, an assembly of called out ones. Also, Jesus is called unusually the cornerstone. Now, uh, building procedures have changed over the years, and but uh, in 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 antiquity, when you build a building, particularly out of stone, you would lay the cornerstone, and the cornerstone would determine the the scope and dimensions of that building. It's the first stone that was laid, and every other stone had to uh, you know had to line itself up to that and the the masons that did that understood exactly what they were doing and so the bible calls jesus the cornerstone first peter 2 4 you're coming to christ who is the living cornerstone of god's temple he was rejected by people but was chosen by god for great honor and you are living stones everybody say living stones that God is building into a spiritual temple. What's more, you're his holy priest. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. So Jesus is the cornerstone. He's the foundation of the church. And every other stone is to conform to who he is and what he's like. So, so how about bump, bump your neighbor and say, you know, you're a stone. And see, our whole goal is to be like Jesus, the chief cornerstone, right? And that's his goal. That's what he wants you to be. And again, I mentioned earlier, when we gather together in a local church as believers, we become a temple or dwelling place for God. And so the Holy Spirit manifests when people get together. Let me tell you, the enemy, Satan, hates for local churches to get together. And he hates for believers not to stay at home in their pajamas drinking coffee. And I understand if you're older and you can't drive, yada, yada. But if you're able and you're an able-bodied person and you can't get yourself into a place and assemble with other believers because there is a power there you won't find anywhere else in the world. And I just mentioned to start this service. How many hear me? Second Chronicles 5. Even at the dedication of Solomon's temple, and they didn't have the Holy Spirit in them. They had hearts of stone, not hearts of flesh. They didn't have the Holy Spirit in them. The Holy Spirit was among them. They had the power of God, and God demonstrated himself to the church in the wilderness in the tabernacle. He had the fire by night and the cloud by day. And then when Solomon's temple was there, there was a fire that hovered over the Holy of Holies, which where the Ark of the Covenant was, and that's where the presence of God was. But it was shut away from the common person. And then during the day, there's a cloud that hovered over uh, Solomon's temple. And so when the, when the Israelite believers would look up and they would see the temple, they would see the fire or they see the cloud, whether it's morning or night. But now we don't have that. And then, and then don't forget what we just read this morning. When they became, became as one and they began to worship, the presence of God filled it says the temple of God and they couldn't even stand to minister for by reason of the glory of God that came. And that same thing is going to happen in the church of Jesus again. And I'm excited about that. So see, see, we are interconnected and, and, and we actually belong to each other. And I'm, re I'm listening. I'm going to get off, off a little bit here. I, I'm, I'm in some, some heady stuff I've been reading really. In fact, I pulled out all my physics books. And so there's uh, quantum mechanics, quantum physics and there is string theory, and I don't even want to go far except to say this, and I just thought about it, is that they have found that everything is interconnected. Everything is interconnected. In fact, Einstein in 1916 formulated, uh, postulated, but couldn't prove it. Now it's been proven uh, that there are at least 10 dimensions of living in any time, space, continuum right here in the room here God is everywhere at all times did you hear me and so you know when you're reading you know what you can read into that everywhere at all times I am with him and he is with me I am in him and he is in me yes or no God's not way out a zillion miles away in heaven he's right there with you right now and then the other thing is true you're connected with each other I carry you home with me in my heart you carry me home with you right 
We're, we're interconnected people. We can't, we, we, we got to think, get away with this ideology of thinking that we are isolated. The problem in America with the church is that we have individual rights and we see ourselves as an individual. Now, I like the individual rights. That's what gives us our freedom of speech, our freedom of worship, yada, 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 right? With the Bill of Rights. But at the same time, we've taken that and extrapolated too much out of it. And so when it comes to church life, we remain autonomous. And that's a problem. Now, when I visit other cultures, for instance, I've been to India, all over India. I've been to certain parts of Africa. We've got 12 churches in Africa. And the difference in families there is those families remain interconnected, lifelong. You might have great-grandma, grandma, mama, children, right? And then the children's children all in the same house, along with the animals in Africa, right? It's just the way it works. But here, everybody's autonomous. Get out of my house. See, and see, and then, and then, when, then when it comes to church life, we, we kind of act autonomously. I don't need you. You don't need me. Leave me alone. And you know we're missing God's best. Do you get it? Now, I could go a long way with that. Let me talk about the church a little bit. The church is, uh, the church is universal in scope and in fact that, that the church is worldwide. And then there are parts of the church that are already in heaven where we're still interconnected. In fact, I love Ephesians 3, 14. For this reason, I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I just love what Paul said, of whom the whole family, everybody say the whole family, in heaven and earth is named. See, we are, you know, it's not an edifice that makes the church. We are the church. And, and we are a family. See, you're my family. I, I'm going to know you in eternity, and you're going to know me. And then we're going to know even as we're known, so we can't hide anything then. And so, so the church becomes the visible representation of Jesus all over the world. And I love what Jesus said, Matthew 5, 14, you're the light of the world. Well, Jesus said he was the light, but then he called us the light. We're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And he gives light to all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So when we gain together as a local church body, right, we create a light in our community that is hard not to see. Would you agree with that? That's why it's really important. So if you've let COVID, you're watching online, you still haven't got out because, you know, you're afraid to get around people, get through the fear, work through the fear. God's not given us a spirit of fear, power, love, a sound mind, and come to church and be a part of a viable body of believers. Most people have gotten over that. Most people are coming back to church. I encourage you, be part of a local church. Let's talk about that a little bit. Why is the local church important? So see, the, the local church is a microcosm, just a small example of the universal church of Jesus worldwide that is not only in heaven, but here on earth and every, on every continent, right? So now, the third point, point I want to make today is, and this is all in the notes, and my notes are online, I forgot to mention that, the church is the incubator. Everybody say incubator. You know what an incubator does for little baby, particularly preemies that are born a little bit early and they just need a little extra help. You put them in this little place and, and it just helps them thrive and a little more oxygen, et cetera, a little more care. The church is the incubator of spiritual life on earth. How many hear me? So let me say that Jesus has a special anointing on certain ones that help lead his church. And we don't talk about that a whole lot in the 21st century, but it's really important. Uh, and Paul mentioned in Ephesians chapter 4, so let me read a few verses from there. Uh, Paul mentions in Ephesians 4, after he talks about who we are in Christ, Ephesians 1, 2, 3, and 4, he talks about unity in the body of Christ, etc., etc. And then down to verse 7 in Ephesians 4, he says, But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Did you know God has given you grace? Did you know God has placed in you an ability, a skill, and he wants you to use that to bless others and minister to him with? Did you know that? So my question to me is, am I using the gift that God placed in me? Ask yourself, are you using the gift that God placed in you? It's really difficult for that gift to be used when you're all alone by yourself, never connected to a local church. Also difficult for that gift to be used if you wander from church to church and are not committed. Just a thought, just a thought. 
But each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth. He that descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill or fulfill all things, as it says in the original. And verse 11 is the reason I read that. And he himself, Jesus himself, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Why? Verse 12 says, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry. King James Version, we read that for years, and they put a comma, which there's not necessarily punctuation in the original uh, languages of the Scripture. So uh, it would read, uh, why did he put these ministry offices in the body of Christ? For the equipping of, for, for the, equipping of the saints, comma. For the work of ministry, comma. For the edifying of the body of Christ. But if you take the comma out, as it does in the New King James, for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. Uh, when I was young, everybody thought the pastor ought to do everything. And that's why pastors wear their little tail out. Because they're visiting everybody, praying over everybody, going to see everybody, and they don't have time for themselves or their families. And that's why their children often rebel, because they don't have time for home life. They don't have time, you know. No, that's, that's the wrong paradigm, wrong ideology. The idea is God set ministry offices in the body of Christ to lead God directly. And then the anointing on those ministry offices comes from Jesus himself. And they are there to equip believers to go out and do the work of ministry. You're supposed to be doing the work of ministry, not just me. I'm ministering to you so you can go out and we all do it together, right? That's the whole idea. Is that true? So there are apostles. Everybody say apostle. I don't have time to go into this in detail. An apostle is a sent one. And apostles, there are various levels and categories of apostles. Some apostles create uh, new churches in different areas of the world. Other apostles are apostle in the sense that, there, uh, for instance, somebody would call um, uh, Smith Wigglesworth, who is an English evangelist, who was uneducated, the power of God came on him, he got baptized with the Holy Spirit and had a worldwide ministry, but they would call him the apostle of faith because she showed people how to believe God. And so, you know, so an, an, an apostolic ministry is a sent ministry, a person said prophets. Prophets make the unseen real. God, prophets have an ability to see into the unseen realm where God is. He is a spirit. We're spiritual beings. And to make that very, very real, and it's a wonderful ministry, we, the church is actually birthed on the foundation of the apostles, the original 12 apostles, and then prophets, right? And so do we have apostles and prophets today? Of course we do, not on the same level of the first 12, but we still have apostles and we have prophets today in ministry. Evangelists, that's a person, the, uh, evangel means good news, and those are people who share Jesus. Those who are people who have a special anointing to minister to the masses uh, salvation and just talk about who Jesus is and what he does for us. They have an ability to get people born again. Pastors, pastor is a shepherd of a local flock. A pastor is an, a God-anointed vocation and then it says teachers and some translations read it this way apostles prophets evangelists and then pastors who are also teachers and I like that because I'm both I'm a pastor and a teacher I was a teacher before I became a pastor in the early 80s and then I became a pastor in 1988 and that pastoral office rose up in me so again, there are, I'm just mentioning all this to say there is a supernatural anointing on the ministry offices God created in the body of Christ. How many hear me? And we're kind of blurring the edges a little bit with all of that today. So let me say a couple of things. Number one, it's the will of God for every believer to be a committed part of a local church, right? And each God-called local church should be led, I'm going to say it this way, by a God-called, Jesus-anointed ministry office called pastor. Yes or no? So here's the idea. You can't just say, what's God want me to do? Which way the wind blowing? And say, I want to be a pastor. God has to call you. And there's a distinct call and separation to the call. February of 1977, I was 18 and a half as young people, little kids would say, I'm, I'm three and a half. Well, you're not going to say I'm 67 and a half. <laughs> but I was 18 and a half. And God called me. I was going to be a businessman. Uh, you know, I was in the field of electronics, and so I just like all that stuff. And, uh, but God called me. 
And he called me to change my vocation. And I could not escape that call. One time in my life, God led me. And one time, I was in between churches, and I actually had a, a traveling ministry, a roving ministry. Kenneth Hagin said, anybody that attended his college, any, any pastor ought to be a traveling minister for a couple of years. And every traveling minister ought to pastor for a couple of years. And then you know how to treat each other. And I agree. So I had a traveling ministry for a couple of years. But I started a business. And God led me to during that time. Here's what I found out. God did not call me to be a businessman. So listen to this. If you've got the call of God to preach, you need to give yourself to the vocation. Give yourself to the call. And I've chosen to do that. Now, I could do a lot of things. I can make anything work. I can create. I just have that thing in me. I can make things happen. But God wants me to be in ministry, and that's his will for me because that's the call on my life. So let, let me just say this, and I'll just spit this out raw and let you deal with it. You don't qualify to pastor in the kingdom of God just because you like to talk. Amen. Or you have a large following on Facebook or YouTube or Instagram or just because your reels are popular. How many hear me? Now, just listen to me. Here's, here's, we've muddied the water so badly with all, all of our electronic gadgetry. I like the electronic gadgetry. I use it in ministry. Sometimes I look at it myself. But I'm telling you, you can muddy the water in your life really easily because you can delude and deceive yourself into thinking, well, I can listen to this person. I can attend this church online. I'll listen to this ministry on YouTube. And here's what you don't know. You don't have the atmosphere of who, who they are nor the context when you're looking at that online. You need a local church. Let me say something about local churches. They're all different, and they're not all the same. How many hear me? And they all have different emphases, and it's the will of God that every church not be the same. So just because you see something online doesn't mean it's the will of God that happens in your local church. You, you, you're missing context with that. How many hear me? I know you're thinking now, right? Huh? Uh, so again... Uh, let me also make this comment. The size of the church, listen to this. The size of the church has nothing to do with the spirituality of a church. Uh, you remember 12 spies that went to Canaan? Uh, did you notice that 10 messed up really bad? And, and only two got it right? So the majority were wrong. You, you ever thought about that? Yeah. So size of a church has to do with systems has to do with strategy and principles of leading and marketing and all that. And all that's carnal. The truth is. You hear me? Spirituality in a church has to do with the word of God, the Holy Spirit's influence, and people who choose love instead of satisfying their flesh cravings in self-centered ways. Right? So don't equate a church size with the spiritualness of that church. Well, that must be right. They got a lot of people going. <laughs> most people are not going to heaven don't follow them so we'll get it i'm just trying to you know bring some context so let me say it this way there are spiritual mega churches and carnal mega churches there are spiritual mid-sized churches and carnal mid-sized churches there are spiritual small churches and carnal small churches right don't equate spirituality with size how many hear me you get it? Don't forget Gideon defeated an army of thousands and thousands with 300 guys. And he started out with 32,000. It's not the amount. It's the, it's the, it's the inertia between each person, behind each person. It's the incentive behind each one. When you hold, Jesus conquered the whole world. The whole world was turned on to Jesus with 12 men. Those that have turned the world upside down are come hither also, it says, right? So the main thing with church is not size, but substance, right? So let me see. Everybody good? Yeah, I'm going to get through this really quick. I've got 10 things that are important to know about the church. I'm just going to read them and make one small, small comment. Can we do that? So here are 10 things that are important to know about church life. Number one, you ready? The church is Jesus' personal work. He oversees and communes with each individual part. That means all of us. The church is not a human organization. It's a spiritual organization. It grows as we all obey Jesus. Would you agree with that? Number two, local churches have different flavors. I just said that. They're like restaurants. I mentioned this, I think, Wednesday night. No two churches are exactly alike. What if every restaurant was the same? What if all restaurants were only Chinese food? Some of you went, yeah, I like that. 
Well, what if, what, if, what if all restaurants were Mexican? What if all restaurants only serve hamburgers? Jesus, help us today. You see, you need flavor and variety. And so just if you could, confer, if you, could you know, look at the church as compared to restaurants that are different flavors of churches because there's so many, uh, so many needs in the family of God, and God does it that way. How many hear me? You need to think every church is not designed to be the same. Boy, now i got a bunch of you thinking, right? Think about it. Think about it. Uh, number three, churches are not perfect because people are not perfect. The moment I enter it, it's imperfect. The moment you enter the door, that's an imperfect church. So see, if you're looking, you got a chip on your shoulder, you're looking for something that's messed up, you'll find it pretty quickly. You know, we all got clay feet. None of us are perfect, but we're seeking first the kingdom of God. It should be, right? Right? If you set me on a, on a, on a pedestal, I'm sure I'm going to fall off at some point and disappoint you. And I hope I do by the grace of God because you need to know you can't follow me. You need to follow Jesus. You can follow me as I follow Jesus. And if I'm doing stuff that's not like Jesus, don't follow that. Come and talk to me about that. That's why I got a staff team. I got a, you know, I've got my advisory board and got others that speak into my life. Say, what are you doing, boy? Right? Churches are not perfect. People are not perfect. Number four, there are two churches, and I just mentioned this, universal church worldwide and the local church. Some members are in heaven, others are on earth. Number five, the local church is a visible representation of the church of Jesus worldwide. So being a part of a, a local church helps you identify with the fact that you're part of a great big family. And, and it's a representation of the kingdom of God, right? Number, number six, Jesus wants every believer to be part of a local church. You don't choose your local church. Jesus deals with you deeply inside as to where you should go. If this ain't your church, go find it. <laughs> right? If you're always aggravated with me, go find something that don't aggravate you. I don't know what to tell you. You know what I mean? No, but see, I'm going to straighten that up in just a minute. You're going to see something in just a minute. Mm-hmm. Jesus deals with you. I'm just saying that where you attend church, that, that's, God has a place for you. And he's going to speak to you inside and it'll bear witness with your heart that you're where you need to be, right? right? Number, six, number seven, it's not possible to develop spiritually as you should without uh, on-site involvement in a local church. It's not possible. Uh, the monk in the monastery is not going to develop spiritually as he should. How many hear me? No, no, you're quiet. Why? Meeting, watch this, meeting and working with people who are unlike you. Everybody say, unlike me. <laughs> Helps develop the love of God in your life. And it challenges self-centeredness. And really, you know, the truth is there's no spiritual growth without growth in love. So if you find people in church that are not like you, that's a really good thing. You know what that means? It's going to stretch you. It's going to move you. It's going to test you. It's going to challenge you. How about bump your elbows with your neighbor and say he's talking about me? <laughs> See? See, so, 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 so if you find somebody in our church that you'd rather not be around, well, yes, that might be a good sign. It means God's dealing with you. Maybe he says, I want you to go eat lunch with them. Or I want you to talk to them. I want you to volunteer with them. I want you to do something. Right? Right? Because I'm telling you, this is the way it works. Right? So if you find people in your church not like you, it means God deeply loves you. You ever thought about that? And it's put you in a potential environment for growth. If you get into an environment you don't like and all you do is, and you're aggravated and upset and got your bottom lift poked out, you're not going to grow. No, God's dealing with attitude. He's dealing with motivations. And sometimes he puts us in places we don't like. In fact, most of the growth in my life has been because he's placed me in, in the lives of people that I don't care to be with, I don't care to identify with, but he said, do it anyhow. And I said, all right, in Jesus' name. And it'll change your world. How many hear what I'm saying? Number eight, Jesus appoints pastors and shepherds to local churches. These pastors have his heart for his people and have the ministry of a shepherd to sheep. His responsibility uh, is for the spiritual care and spiritual oversight of each person. God's work on earth today centers around the local church. It's the epicenter of activity in the kingdom of God. The local church is a gr training ground, number 10, for all ministry. How many hear me? So how are you doing with local church? Let me just talk a minute because in prayer this morning, here's what I tagged. There are people in the room, you're aggravated, agitated. You come to church, but man, some of you is grumpy and upset. Because you've had bad experiences with pastors, with church leaders, 
and with people who say they're believers but don't sometimes act like believers. Has anybody had, besides me had to deal with that? Listen to me. Early in my walk with Jesus, in fact, one, two, three, two and a half years into my walk with Jesus, I found a pastor who was not walking with God as he should, and he was, he was committing some pretty egregious stuff, and nobody knew. And the Holy Spirit showed it up inside of me. And, uh, boy, he lambasted me. And I don't have time to talk about it in detail. That was, in, that was the year I got married, 1979, when that happened. Jeez, that'll be 45 years ago, next month, when that happened to me. You know what I could have done? I could have said, with church. I was, in, I was in the guy's Bible school. I could have said, I'm done with all this. These people are hypocrites, all of them. See, if you judge one person, you judge them all. So if you're here, I didn't mean to do this, but here we are. If you're here... And you've been hurt by church leadership. Come on, make eye contact with me. I am really sorry that happened to you. And it hurts my heart that that happened to you. I know how that feels. You feel taken advantage of, you feel hurt, you feel disappointed. You've got to forgive it and let it go. I was, uh, I was 20 years old when I married Susan, so I was 20 years old when this happened to me. And it, it could have ripped the spiritual rug out from under my spiritual life when this pastor said what he said and did what he did to me. It was really bad. Some of you heard me talk about this before. But, you know, I had to make a choice. Am I willing to forgive this man and not judge every other church and every other pastor according to what he did? I had to make a choice. I was 20. Or am I just going to walk away and say, you know what? I'm done with this. I don't know why. There's somebody in the room. You've done that. You say, I'm done with this. Others, oh, you are part, but in your heart, you are disconnected because of hurt and loss because somebody did it wrong. And nobody called their hand, and you got hurt. Hurt equals anger equals, in that sense, unforgiveness. You know, forgiving somebody doesn't mean what they did was right. But forgiving someone causes it not to cling to your life and affect you for the rest of your life sometimes, or for at least the next season until you deal with it, right? you got to let things go. So everybody look at me. I'm going to ask you as a church leader. So it might have been a pastor. It could have been a man or woman on a church staff team who just did it wrong, didn't do what you thought they would do. You misunderstood them, whatever, and you hold a fence. I want you to look at me. I'm going to ask you. I'm going to stand in their place. Will you forgive me? If you don't, That'll affect you until you do. Uh, who's the guy y'all listen to a lot and read his books? John Bevere. John Bevere his book, uh, Bait of Satan. Thank you so much. See? Come on. Uh, in his book, I, I think that book came out in 1992, 1993. But it's an old story. It's an old story in the book of the Midwest being settled and settlers coming from the east going to the west. And they come across this town and this guy sitting in front of the town behind him. And the new settlers come in and say, hey, what's that town like? He just asked all of them one question. What's, ta- what's the town like where you come from? Uh, man, these people, they, you can't trust it. You got to watch your back. Nobody likes anybody. They're always backbiting and there's full of strife and there's nobody good in that town. He said, that town's just like that. You won't like it. And they kept on going. Somebody else comes up and says, hey, again, ask the same question to the little settler in front of the small town, Midwest. Said, what's a, hey, what's this town like? He said, well, what's the town you came from? And they, again, responded, but the opposite way. So, you know, these people are so kind, so helpful. They really go out of their way to help each other. I mean, it really feels like a great big family. He said, this, this town's just like that. You'll love it. They went into the town and settled. See, where you come from, if you don't deal with it, it'll affect the rest of your life. Huh? There's several levels to that. Some of you are having problems in your marriage because your last husband or wife did it wrong. Or mama and daddy set the bad example. You got to let it go. 
It's another story for another day. Here, context here. Let the churches that did it wrong go. You hear me? Don't judge where you are based on where you were. Right? Gotta let it go. Right? God wants to do something amazing worldwide through local churches. And uh, there has to be unity. We had a prayer meeting on Thursday, and I, I know the people praying with me thought I was cuckoo. I mean, something came on me. I got to bellowing out, but there was something going on. The enemy wants to create disunity in, in churches. Yes. How many hear what I'm saying? Amen. He wants you to strain at a gnat, so to speak, or something small to get you off and set you off where, where you can't get in unity in one accord with the other people. If you go through the book of Acts, the first six chapters, when they were in one accord in one place, Number one, the Holy Spirit fell on the day of Pentecost. And then, and then on and on and on it goes that the power of God would erupt. And it says they were all in one accord. When they were in one accord. When they were in one accord. The enemy wants to get you where you're divisive. Where you're not in agreement. Don't allow him to do that to your mind. Our, our nation is troubled right now. And there is a spirit of division trying to, to worm its way into every segment of culture. But in the church of Jesus... <laughs> You know, in the church I pass, ain't going to happen. I just say over my dead body, uh-uh, not going to happen. And I, I'm going to be the person that's going to foster unity. Would you be willing to do that?